Welcome to the Republican Professor today. We have with us a non-special, non-guest, Dr. Lucas J. Mather. That's me. I also have a high school diploma from Chatfield Senior High School, which is a public high school in a little town called Littleton, Colorado. Uh, and it turns out that most people do not have uh, a diploma from Chatfield, uh, did not uh, get into Chatfield, were, were not able to attend, and uh, certainly were not able to graduate. So it's quite an honor for me to say, I mean, I'm in a very small minority of, of people on planet earth that has that high school diploma. Um, most people go to different high schools and that's just the case. So welcome. This is part three of the definition of marriage in American law and politics, where we shy away from everything controversial. Uh, and that's just our MO here. I'm gonna go through uh, a few housekeeping items but mainly, I'm going to get back into the introduction to logic uh, with Irving Copey and talk about argument by analogy and the fallacy of faulty analogy. We're going to be talking about the analogy uh, that some make or assume uh, between race and sexual orientation, or in other words, um, the uh, issue of interracial marriage and uh, changing the definition of marriage. So that's where we're headed. And I will get to the housekeeping items afterwards, if that's okay with you. Well, I'm in Kopi again, and he has a section on analogy and probable inference, which is his chapter 13. Sometimes uh, logic professors in their logic textbooks put the uh, fallacy of weak analogy in their chapter on fallacies. Copy doesn't do that. He deals with analogies in a separate but equal chapter. And so it's, um, you know, it's a refreshing way of going about it. I think analogies do receive a lot of very merited attention by him um, because analogies are like cars. And you'll notice I'm using an analogy to describe analogies because that's how we roll here on the Republican Professor podcast. Uh, analogies are like cars in that every analogy breaks down. Every car breaks down eventually. But a good analogy will get you where you want to go, just like a good car, before it breaks down, not after. Before. And... Uh, the analogies are inescapable, and I highly, highly recommend, and no, I'm not saying I'm high, although I am I am partaking of some red wine right now. It's been a long day, 
yesterday was a long day. Man, it was like 24 hours, I think. And then the week, the day before that was 24 hours. Last week was like, dude, it was like seven days long. It's been last year was a long year for me. It was like 365 days. So anyway, it's a long day. Analogies are not something that people willingly spend time in unless you take a, a logic class like mine. But um, there's some, I think, popular level confusion that I would like to dispel. Uh, for example, um, I, if, I, I would be a rich man if I could have a dime for each time I've heard somebody say something like, are you comparing this, that, you know, and, and uh, the implication in the tone and, and, and stuff, the assumptions uh, being that if the mere comparison of two things makes you a bad person of some kind. Uh, I've never said that ever in my life because I don't believe that comparing two things is wrong. In fact, I think it's a sign of uh, mental life. It's a sign of men there's 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 life in that mental space there. So I'm happy you should be comparing things all the time. That's called thinking. So um you know, compare away. It's never wrong. In fact, there was a there was a uh, just this this morning on uh, there was a newspaper headline it was online but it was uh, somebody got in trouble for comparing one thing to another. And it's like, that's a, that's a headline. Now, I don't know how that could be ever wrong. Just comparing two things. Because if you, if you compare them, that's how you find out if there's similarities or if there's differences, how else would you know if there's similarities or differences? Unless you compare them first. Are you comparing Trump with Hitler, you know, or whatever? I mean, fine. Compare. You'll find that they're not alike at all. That's how that, that's the only way you would know two things are not alike is if you compare them. And that's called thinking. And we shame thinking far too often in our society. Far too often, what's the best, uh, what's the right amount? Zero. You shouldn't be th shaming thinking at all. At all. And we've seen the previous episodes, there's a lot of lethophobia. You don't know what that word is? And you haven't watched or listened to the previous episodes? Well, you might want to stop this and go listen or watch the previous episodes. As I talk about that. Alethophobia, fear of truth. And our colleges and universities, our K through 12, are contributing. Our popular culture sometimes contributes to alethophobia. And shaming a comparison is an example of alethophobia. Why would you want to shame comparison unless you were afraid of what the result would be? which might be true.
So I never shame comparing things. I welcome it. And it's a sign that you're thinking. And that is necessary for progress. It's not optional. It's necessary. All that to say, an argument by analogy is dealt with in this section here. And I'm going to summarize what Copey says here in his Introduction to Logic, 10th edition. I'm on page 470. Copey mentions that um, most of our everyday inferences are by analogy. I'm on the bottom of his 470. Think about that. Most of our own everyday inferences are by analogy. Wow. By comparing things. I mean, I think that's how we learn language. Think about how you, you don't remember exactly how you learned English. But it wasn't a simple operation, I'll tell you. And it certainly wasn't by being shamed not to compare two different things. How, how in the world are you supposed to know what the word blue means? Unless you compare different items, you find out what blue means, right? I have a photographic memory. I have, a lot of people don't know this, but I was born speaking English. I didn't have to learn it because I was just listening very carefully in the womb. And so when I was born, I started talking to the nurses and the doctors and, and um, now I hadn't seen the, I hadn't seen any color. I didn't know my colors yet. And I remember sitting there and um, they wanted me to say goo goo gaga. And I was like, no, I'm not going to say goo goo gaga. I'm not, I'm don't make me say that. That's what, that's what I said. I was also wearing glasses when I came out and people were really freaked out, but they had a book and they had a red fire truck and they had a red triangle. Now I didn't know what the word red meant. So when, when they pointed at the fire truck and they said red, I said, got it. Okay. All right, cool. And then they pointed at the red triangle and I was like, what the beep? And, and then I was like, oh, 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 it's what they have in common. Ah, that's red. Ah, I got it. Okay, got it. I nailed this. Yeah, yeah, not red, not red. Well, that's blue. Okay, I got, oh, okay, I'm getting it now. I got it. So I was a very interesting and precocious toddler. Well, that's how we learn language. That's how we learn how to think. It's how we learn how to trust people or not trust people, right? We're always struggling with how to do this well, you know? So in addition to their frequent use in arguments, I'm quoting Copy on page 471, analogies are very often used non-argumentively. I love that he says that. And these different uses should not be confused. Very important. Uh, analogies can be used in explanation. Sometimes they're used in illustration, narration, 
I'm on page 472. I'm skipping down here. The use of analogies in description and explanation is not the same as their use in argument, though in some cases it may not be easy to decide which is intended. But whether used argumentatively or otherwise, analogy is not difficult to define. To draw an analogy between two or more entities is to indicate one or more respects in which they are similar. On the next page, 473 at the top, he says, every analog analogical inference proceeds from the similarity of two or more things in one or more respects to the similarity of those things in some further respect. So all analogical arguments have the same general structure or pattern. Now, what we've covered so far is that analogies are very important. They're inescapable for learning how to think, how to learn language, uh, for progress. It's only alethophobia and epistemophobia, which are unhealthy, maximally unhealthy for a civilization that would get in the way or shame people for comparing things. Now, on the definition of marriage, we've seen that there is a coherent, univocal sense in the dictionaries and I brought more dictionaries because I just keep finding them. Um, <laughs> I collect them. I'm, it's kind of a hobby of mine. I have multiple languages. Um, but it just in terms of the English dictionaries, I, uh, you know, I, I brought, brought out actually my oldest that I personally own, which is the New Century Dictionary from 19, the 1930s. I, I have that. I'll, I'll take a look at that on here. I um I also realize uh that I never told you in this Oxford compact dictionary that I showed you the big heavy one I never showed you what's inside and I'm going to do that now if you are listening only go to the YouTube you can see this you see how many columns there are on each page six columns and there's four pages per page shrunken down. You need a microscope, not a microscope, but a Sherlock Holmes magnifying glass. And I have a marriage here bookmarked um, because I use this for class at Pepperdine. And all my students like puppies came up to the, the feeding trough of all these dictionaries. I had the entire table. I had a table that I would lecture at. It was a it was a table you could probably fit eight people around, and they were it was filled with dictionaries, all turned to the word marriage, uh, and they were like puppies. And so I've got the I've got my magnifying glass, and I'm going to read to you the definition of marriage. If I can find it, well, there it is. And I apologize; it's really hard here. Okay. The relation uh, between husband or wife. Well, hold on. Let me make sure I got that right. 
sorry, the condition of being a husband or wife, the relation between married persons, uh, wedlock. Um, now, if you go to husband and wife, you look those words up, you'll see that a husband is a man married to a woman and a, a wife is a woman married to a man. But let me go to the other uh, definitions here. Uh, number two, entrance into wedlock, the act of marrying, and the nuptial ceremony. Uh, sometimes it means a particular alliance or union. And they have all these different uh, examples here, like with dowries and all sorts of interesting things here. Marriage settlement, marriage bed. <laughs> Um, so you have the husband wife thing, and uh, let me go ahead and, uh, turn to the W's really quick. Now I, I wanted to mention that there's a host of other words that are, are affected by this. Uh, for example, in this, uh, Webster's new Riverside dictionary from 1996, this thing is so beaten up. I've, uh, taken the liberty of uh, looking at the definition of widow here and um, uh, wife, and they're right next to each other virtually. They're on the same page. Um, so let me uh, let me just read from that really quick. We got whore. Hold on, that's not it. Whooping crane. wide we're getting close widow a woman who has not remarried after her husband's death widower right next to it what do you can you guess a man who has not remarried after his wife's death oh what's a wife well a married woman in that in that example apparently if uh, her spouse dies she's a widow but that's that's a husband that dies now if you go to wife here in um the oxford one i was mentioning this is 1978 this big thick one um well actually i'm in uh, i need to go to a different uh dictionary for that so i'll go to husband i gotta go to a different volume because there's multiple volumes this thing is huge humanistically humor hustle getting close busting i mean what's my life like that i sit around and do this but you know i'm a scholar what can i say i check things husband i'm looking under the magnifying glass. The master of the house, a male head of the household. It's the first definition. The second definition is a man joined to a woman by marriage. One who tills and cultivates the soil. 
This is Oxford University Press. Let me get the date. I think it's 1978. This thing is huge. It's the biggest dictionary I have. Volume 1, A through O, Oxford University Press, 1971. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I, I, I'll tell you the story of how I got these at some point. When, when I started having issues with students and I would bring them... The dictionaries and i just showed them what was in the dictionary these kids are online and they don't know any you change the definition of marriage overnight they have no idea what the heritage is here and for law heritage is a big deal you know okay i'm looking up husband in the oldest dictionary i have which is the new american uh, sorry the new century dictionary and uh, this is a little bit fragile because it's pretty to me, it looks pretty old, so I got to be very careful with it. It's uh, published by the Appleton Century Company in New York and London. It's uh, very thick and big. It's uh, copyright um, 1931 in the first edition. Sorry, 1927 in the first edition, but this is the 1948 printing. So this is during segregation, and where I'm going with this is I because we're talking about race today. I want to see what the dictionaries are saying during segregation, okay? So in 1948, it was illegal to for a white, so-called white person to marry a, a black person. And same in uh, Virginia. And those legal materials, we're going to be getting at those cases, not in this episode, but in maybe the next episode. That's definitely going to be a major part of this. We're also going to look at polygamy and a major polygamy case at the Supreme Court. Okay, husband. Husband. Hussy. Husband. The master of the house. Also, a man joined in marriage to a woman as wife to till the soil as a verb to till the soil okay that's it there's no racial criteria at all in in this in black's law dictionary there's no racial criteria at all in these terms Okay, that's very important. Very important. All right. I'm uh, moving them out of the way here so I can go back to what I was saying in Kopi. I'm back in Kopi. Remember I said this is like cooking. Sometimes you got to chop a little onions. Sometimes you got to saute the, you know, melt the butter in the pan and saute the uh, scallops and maybe you're roasting duck. Uh, I don't know. Whatever you do. I'm not a, a huge cook. I just pour the cereal and I pour the milk. That's what I do. Page 478, chapter 13, analogy and probable inference and, and Kopi's introduction to logic. We have six criteria for art, uh, for, for, evaluating arguments by analogy. The first criterion relevant to the appraisal of an analogical argument is 
the number of entities between which the analogies are said to hold. This principle is deeply rooted in common sense. This is all common sense. In fact, I would say that logic is really just diet. Common sense is really diet logic is how I put it. I love it. Having another swig of wine there. Second criterion is for the appraisal of analogical arguments is the very uh, variety of the instances in the premises. The more dissimilar the instances are on which I base my conclusion, the more probable it is that the conclusion is true. In other words, you got two things, you're comparing them, you say they're alike in two or more ways, therefore they're alike in a further way. That's the argument. Well, if they're alike in many ways, that's that's the first criterion, the number of entities in which the analogies are said to hold, then that's, that's pretty strong. So... Um, the example he gives is uh, is of golden retrievers. You have an experience with a golden retriever that's pleasant, and then you have another one, another one, another one, another one. And if the variety of circumstances in which you're encountering those golden retrievers is, is uh, across a spectrum of differences, like, for example, maybe you encounter both male and female golden retrievers, golden retrievers of different ages, different uh, geographical locations from which they come, uh, from different homes, then you might be strong in thinking that, that the next golden retriever you meet will be like the ones that you've seen because of the golden retrieverness. In other words, it's the, it's the dog. It's not all the other things that come along with dogs. It's the dog uh, species themselves. That's just an example. A third criterion for appraising analogical arguments is the number of respects in which the things involved are said to be analogous. For some of the respects in which the entities and the premises and the conclusion are similar will have no bearing on the probability of the conclusion. This points to a fourth criterion for arguments by analogy, relevance. All of the things that you mention have to be relevant to your conclusion. Um, if I'm comparing uh, Vietnam to Afghanistan, for example, and I'm saying that uh, Afghanistan will be a quagmire just like uh, Vietnam was, and so I'm making an argument by analogy. And then let's say I come up with true similarities, but they're not really relevant. Then, then my conclusion suffers as a point. So, for example, if I say the North Vietnamese used AK-47s, and I notice how convenient. I noticed the Taliban also use AK-47s. Therefore, uh, that strengthens my belief that because 
Vietnam was a quagmire, then Afghanistan will be a quagmire. Well, how relevant is the AK-47? I mean, it might be that there's other things that are a lot more relevant. Um, It might be that there's a lot of things that are not relevant at all that you could list. You could list forever. For example, uh, the Vietnam North Vietnamese spoke a different language from English, and oh, what you what do you, what would you know? The Afghanis also speak another language, therefore it'll be a quagmire. Well, what I said is true, but it's not really relevant. I hope you, you're getting this, and pay attention to relevance because we're going to see it with the definition of marriage. You want to pay a really close attention to relevance is the gender of the relata, which is a technical term for the things that are related in marriage. Is that relevant? That's that's really the whole debate at this stage. You know, is race relevant? Well, like I said, in these dictionaries, race was not mentioned once. During segregation, it wasn't mentioned. It was never part of the language. It was never part of the concept of marriage. So I would say that race is not relevant at all. And that's exactly what the courts found. When the courts take a look at this, we will take a look at the, I mean, I'm not going to say more than that today because I want to make this fairly short. Um, but the courts uh, didn't find any relevance of race whatsoever in the definition of marriage. I mean, they're just looking at the dictionary. Okay, now, there will be disagreement sometimes. I'm back to Copy, page 479 at the bottom. There will be disagreement sometimes as to which analogies are relevant for stated conclusions. The attributes that really are relevant in proving the presence of certain other attributes in a given instance may be in dispute, but the meaning of relevance itself is not in dispute. Okay. Now, before I go to five and six here, in the analogy between race and sexual orientation, Let's drill down in there. So oftentimes there's this progressive assumption that um, that there's this story that that conservatives, uh, and I typically don't call myself a conservative, and and if you want to know more about that, I would say subscribe to my substack and uh, and I would challenge you to define the word conservative. And my guess is you probably don't know how to define it very well. Um, it might be that you're one of a few people that do know how to define it uh, fairly okay. But I've, I've just not, I'm not convinced that, for example, uh, the Bruin case, the Second Amendment case, or the uh, striking down Roe versus Wade case last year, which were all Republicans, I don't think that that's conservative. I don't think it's conserving the past. I think that the Democrats were upset because a hundred year old law that was in place in New York 
restricting where you could carry guns and who could carry them and how much power the police had of saying who could carry and what under what kind of circumstances. I think that they were the ones that were conservatives and they wanted to keep things the way they were. And, and the Democrats that love Roe versus Wade, they, they love that. They want that. They want to keep that. And the Republicans wanted to change that. I think it's very confusing when you start talking about being for tradition or you're being conservative. What are you talking about? You know, and so I just say Republican, you know, it's Republicans that are that are over that are defending the black man, Otis McDonald in McDonald versus Chicago. It's Republicans doing that. It's Republicans that passed the 14th Amendment uh, over universal Democrat opposition during the I mean, right around the war when there was. The war ended, the Civil War, and then the next thing you know, you got terrorist organizations like the Klan. It was Republicans that were crushing the Klan. And you might say that the Klan were conservative, but they were Democrats. And you know, you'll notice a trend, right? I mean, take the New Deal. Take economic regulation. There's all sorts of economic regulation. The Republicans want to change that. The Democrats want to keep it. And so who's a conservative? I, I, you know, it's just, to me, it's confusing. And so I don't use the term. So, so you go to the interracial marriage bans. Um, and, you know, it's, they're in states, they're in Democrat areas. Like, like Virginia, for example. And, um, yeah, it's people like Earl Warren, who was a Republican that look at that and they say, that's, that has nothing to do with marriage itself. You know, I guess in a sense, he did go back to the original definition of marriage, but how can you not when, when marriage is older than the United States? It's, it's an odd thing. I mean, it's you're talking about a concept and a, and a, and a, an institution that predates California, you know? So the question of what is it when you talk about it? Well, it's been around a long time. The essence of it, when you want to add things to it that take away people's liberty that's what the racists were doing. The progressives, they were progressive. They were Democrats, a lot of them. And, you know, I'm not saying that the Republicans, there's a lot of Republicans I disagree with. I mean, like half the time I'm criticizing Republicans. And in fact, stay tuned, because when I talk about my marriage paper, I will be going through uh, Obergefell versus Hodges. And I will be talking in detail about the majority opinion and each of the four dissents, and I have something to say about each one of them uh, in partial disagreement or total disagreement, depending on, and they're all Republicans. Every single one of them are Republicans. So stay tuned for that. All right. Now, in the analogy between desegregating schools, for example, and desegregating marriage, 
you can desegregate a school without changing the nature of a school. And you can desegregate marriage without changing the nature of the marriage. How do I know that? Well, one way is you can apprehend the idea of marriage, the essence of it. You can look in the dictionary. There's no racial criteria whatsoever. Those were added to the essence. In other words, they were accidental features that were added to it, like accoutrements that were not necessary to marriage. And in fact, they restricted liberty impermissibly. To strike those laws down, you had to go to the concept itself, back to the concept itself. And as we'll see in Perez versus Sharp, for example, that's exactly what happened. And interracial marriage was struck down in California because Andrea Perez and her black boyfriend, Sylvester, they, they were Catholics. <laughs> and they said, hold, hold up, hold up. You're adding to the biblical definition of marriage. And in doing so, you're restricting our religious liberty. And the Catholic Church is, is older than California. The institution of marriage is older than California. This is not permissible. You, you know, this, this, these, you don't screw around with this. And the court, by the way, Earl Warren was governor at the time of California, Republican. And when he goes on the, the Supreme Court, he cites Perez versus Sharp and Loving versus Virginia. Okay, but hey, I'm getting ahead of myself. Stop it. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Page 480, Copy. The centrality of relevance explains the very great importance of a fifth criterion, the number and importance of disanalogies. A disanalogy is a point of difference. Now, Here's the difference in desegregation and changing the definition. To desegregate marriage, you did not have to change the definition of marriage. The definition remained in Black's Law Dictionary from 1891 through past the desegregation because it was already desegregated. The concept of marriage had no racial criteria whatsoever. So when you add racial criteria, that's an extra thing you're adding that is not part of the issue. That's not part of the definition. It would be an accidental feature. So it'd be like saying you're uh, defining, um, uh, you're, let's say you're trying to define a term and you add something that's not part of the definition. And then you pretend like it is. But that's not what's happening with marriage. It wasn't what's happening with schools either. I mean, you could to totally understand the idea of a school without any reference to race whatsoever. So when schools get desegregated, a school is still a school. You don't change the definition. You're not inventing a new definition. But with these, uh, these recent attempts to... Uh, to to change the definition in Obergefell versus Hodges, for example, 
Enray marriage cases uh, in California, uh, Perry versus Schwarzenegger at the federal level, um, and so on and so forth, there's a change of definition happening. Um, and so there's a dispute now about uh, not only disanalogy, but relevance when it comes to gender and race. I hope that makes sense to you. So um, disanalogies weaken. Disanalogies weaken. The argument by analogy. One more criterion remains to be discussed, which concerns not the relevance of the attributes to one another, but the nature of the claim made by the argument. This is on 482, chapter 13, Analogy and Probable Inference, Irving Copey, Concise Introduction, uh, introduction to Logic, 10th edition. In general, it is obvious that the more one claims, the greater the burden of sustaining that claim. So in this, in the case of analogical argument, we say that the modesty of the conclusion relative to the premise uh, affirmed is a critical consideration of how strong the argument is. The more modest the claim, the less burden is placed on the premises and the stronger is the argument. Take, for example, I'm going to claim that I, I heard a noise, that's my premise, therefore, someone is in the room. I'm not, it's a modest claim. I'm not saying who, but if I say I heard a noise, therefore, um, George Washington is in the room. Now that's, that weakens my argument because it's a very strong claim that I'm trying, you know, I, it's very specific. It's a lot easier to say someone was in the room than say who it was. My point. So it's I'm, what I'm trying to illustrate is weakening your, your conclusion, making it more modest, strengthens your argument. But in, in the attitude, and it doesn't always have to be an argument by analogy, but in the attitude that there's this progress with redefining marriage. We have to redefine marriage because we're part of a tradition. We're on the same side of the people that desegregated marriage and, and allowed black people to marry white people and stuff like that. Well, actually that doesn't follow at all if you're paying attention. And even if you're not paying attention, it still doesn't follow at all. It's just that you don't know about it because you're not paying attention. Because desegregating marriage had nothing to do with changing anything about marriage at all. Like I just read you the 1948 definition of marriage, man and woman. It turned out that black people can be men and, and so can white people. They could be white, they could be men, they could be women. And it perfectly... And in fact, in the Loving versus Virginia case, that was a, a criminal st statute that was overturned, as we'll see. Well, if it's a criminal statute, you have to admit that it's possible for it to happen. I mean, it'd be really weird to, to make uh, bank robbery illegal if bank robbery is logically impossible. 
It's like, what are you prohibiting? It's incoherent. Well, they, they admitted that it's possible for a black person to marry a white person. It's because the definition of marriage just says a man and a woman. It doesn't say anything about race. And there are other conditions we have to get to. We'll, we'll do a precising definition. That's why it's a little bit complicated because you're probably thinking, okay, there's other conditions that are uh, important to talk about. And that's true. We'll get to them. There are such things as uh, different. Remember the different kinds of definitions that we were talking about? We were talking about precising definitions and theoretical definitions. And remember that? Um, I hope you remember that because that was a uh, chapter five of, of, of Kopi. And, um, let me just really quickly go back to where I'm going to give you a sense of where we're headed here. We have the issue of precising definitions, which try to reduce vagueness or ratchet down something that might not be in the dictionary. So, for example, these dictionaries, they don't mention anything about not being able to marry your mom if you're a boy. And I'm, I'm a man and my mom's a woman. Can I marry my mom? Well, there's restrictions against that that are part of the concept, and I'm going to argue for a theoretical, and this is where we're headed, I'm going to give you a theoretical definition, which Kopi talks about on 131. And theoretical definitions seek comprehensive understanding that's more comprehensive than you get in the dictionary. Dictionary is very bare bones. It's essential. It gets you at some of the essential stuff. But the statutes that govern marriage come from common law. And um, incidentally, there's a common law book I wanted to recommend by uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Excuse me, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. And I'm not I'm not a fan of him. He was a Republican. See, I criticize Republicans. I hated his dissent, for example, in uh, Lochner versus New York. I don't want to get off in the weeds on that, but here's the book, The Common Law, and I'm showing it on YouTube. If you're listening only, go to the YouTube sometime and maybe look at the pictures. He talks about marriage in this book, and it's under the history of contract. And it's very interesting because... Uh, I mean, he does a pretty good job on this, I would say. It's copyright 1881 uh, and then renewed copyright in 1923. And it's published by uh, Boston, Little Brown and Company. Um, he was on the Supreme Court, but he he was a scholar of, of sorts. And um, so the kinds of things that you talk about in common law are early forms of liability, criminal law, what is it, torts, trespass, negligence, fraud, malice, intent. Um, 
possession and ownership contract. Uh, there's lots of stuff about contract here and successions. And uh, marriage is a rich part of this whole tradition. It wasn't invented by the tradition. It was recognized by the tradition. And the United States comes out of the Anglo uh, tradition and law, common law. Most of the common law was uh, enacted in statutes, uh, you know, or adjusted in the in the cases uh, that we have. And uh, we have a written constitution, unlike the the British. Uh, we have written constitutions at the state level and in the federal level. And so we have uh, a text and tradition, kind of a standard by which we interpret that why which is supposed to guide our jurisprudence um and uh words are very important in that effort uh to understand law to understand so for example um take for example the second amendment debate which uh clarence thomas who wrote a dissent in the obergefell decision wrote a magnificent opinion on the second amendment last year in the Bruin case. He cites McDonald versus Chicago in the Obergefell. So if you're wondering what the definition of marriage has to do with the second amendment, well, read Clarence Thomas's opinion in Obergefell. It has a lot to do with it. Words matter. They really do matter. And people are constantly trying to to reinvent or redefine words and it now it's it's at a breakneck pace and it, it's getting a little bit uh, of a pain when you know you have like for example the definition of family here in um this webster's new riverside dictionary let me just read the definition of family to you A social unit consisting especially of a man and a woman and their offspring. Okay. What about spouse? You know? Look up spouse. Here's an Oxford American Desk Dictionary and Thesaurus from 2001 i mean this is really interesting stuff you got you got widow you've got wife you got husband you've got dowry for example and <laughs> you got the curtsy one which is a less you got all these historical words and uh they all have a meaning. My students ask me, are you for traditional marriage? And I just tell them to look it up in the dictionary under T. It's not under T. It's under M. It's like if I go into Trader Joe's, I don't say I, I want a traditional apple. I just go where the apples are. You know, I mean, that's how, that's the way the word has been used for centuries. I don't need to distinguish between traditional 
I mean, it's not like I, I go, no, no, no. I mean, apples. And I point to the oranges. You know, you're playing with words. No, I'm using the English language. I'm using it. Then I'll quote from my dictionary. I'll go to the word gay and it'll say happy, merry, joyful. I'll go to the word marriage and it'll say a union between a man and a woman by which they become husband and wife. And then I'll say, I, I think every marriage should be as gay as possible. You, you, you playing with words. No, I'm using the English language. And I don't ever ask for permission to do that because it's my language. And anybody who wants to can learn it and use it. It's called liberty. Okay. And I, I don't like people who manipulate people into talking differently. I don't like that. It's creepy. Persuasive definitions. Copy 132. Definitions may be formulated and used persuasively to resolve disputes by influencing the attitudes or stirring the emotions of readers or hearers. We call this these persuasive definitions. Okay. The kinds of definitions discussed thus far, and those would be lexical definitions, theoretical definitions, precising definitions, those all concerned are all concerned with the informative use of language. But sometimes we defer, define terms in ways deliberately calculated to affect feelings and indirectly to alter conduct. That's what he calls persuasive definitions. Funny thing is, is he gives an example of a pro-lifer and to me, he sounds like a Democrat right now, but listen to what he says. Persuasive definitions are common in political argument. Um, but this is on page 133. As we seek to distinguish good reasoning from bad, we must be on our guard against persuasive definitions. I'm going to, I'm going, to, here's where I'm going. Obergefell and these, these set of cases that tried to define marriage, they used persuasive definitions, meaning that's exactly what we should be on our guard against because they don't inform, they seek to alter conduct, but they don't inform us what the word means. In other words, they're manipulative. So wh where I'm headed is I'm going to go into a theoretical and precising attempt at defining marriage, getting at some of the historical uh, conditions on marriage. For example, uh, marriage is a contract. It's a civil contract coming from the common law. 
between living humans. I can't marry a cactus. I can't marry somebody who's dead, even if I love that person. Love does not win. I can't marry Aristotle. I love Aristotle. Love doesn't win. Marriage is a civil contract between living humans. And I can't marry Walmart. That's a, that's a, I can enter into a contract with Walmart, but I can't marry Walmart. It's not a human. Got to be human. Humans who are not closely related. Now we're getting to some of the theoretical issues. Why? Well, there's, there's a, you might say a classical and historical um, wisdom of the ages on that. <laughs> Not closely related and are who, uh, who are of the age required for consent. Very important. There's an age requirement. That's a little vague, but precising definitions try to help us with vagueness. Who are of the opposite sex, and therefore, there's only two of them. A thing and its opposite are present only. Then there's two things there. There's two relata, a man and a woman. That's that's what I call classical marriage equality. That's the classical concept. Some people say traditional. I don't say traditional because some people can't distinguish between that tradition and the, and the, the Democrat tradition of segregation, which came out of uh, not only slavery, but the Civil War, for example, and of course, Republicans, you know, uh, won the Civil War, uh, established this, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, and have been enforcing that against the states, for example, uh, in McDonald versus Chicago, which was a black man who wanted to have a gun for self-defense, and the Democrats who want to redefine what it means to keep and uh, redefine what it means to bear uh, uh, they said, no, you have to rely on the police. They wanted to redefine the words, the people, the right of the people. And they said, you're not the people, Mr. Otis McDonald. Uh, you, you go ahead there and be disarmed and wait for the police. That was the Democrats saying that the Republicans were saying, no, keep and bear have meanings in history and tradition. That's the part of the term. We don't say traditional bear. We don't say traditional keep. We don't say uh, traditional the people. I mean, the people mean the people. Uh, words are very important. Let me go through those seven necessary conditions of marriage again. We'll, we'll de develop this later, but marriage is a civil contract between living humans who are not closely related of an age required for consent, that's five. Number six, who are of the opposite sex from each other and therefore there's only two of them. Okay, seven necessary conditions. Those are not sufficient conditions. What are sufficient? What is sufficient for marriage? We're going to get into that topic. I hope you're enjoying this. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed being with you. Um, and uh, we'll have uh, 
hopefully this series will be close to done by the time we have the anniversary of Obergefell versus Hodges on the 26th. But if not, we'll be almost done and we'll be around the same time. But I definitely wanted to finish this in June. Uh, Professor, why do you even care, man? You know, why do you care? I think I answered that to some extent in the previous episodes. I think I said because it's important. That's the same reason you care. But here's another answer to that. And that is, I never cared enough to redefine the meaning of June. I never cared enough uh, to, you know, like go into my garage and like in, invent a flag that people had to like fly at the like fire house next to the American flag or on an embassy in an Islamic country or Eastern European country. I, some of this is projection and you just need to know how to like Aikido, just, you know, flip it right back to them, use the energy coming at you and flip it back. But I want to be gentle. There's a lot of emotion on this. It, the emotion uh, clouds judgment and thinking. I, I want to encourage thinking. I want to encourage careful thought. And if you disagree with me and you're here, and I, I really appreciate you being here. I, I, I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you. And, um, and I, I'm happy to have you here. And I'm, if you agree, great, but I'm just, there, there's so much confusion on this topic. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's depressing to watch how confused people are, especially on the college campuses. I, I just cannot believe that, that parents Oh, don't get me started. Um, okay, I'm going to stop here. We'll we'll do uh, part four soon.